Well, good morning. Man, it is so good to see you all. Man, I've missed you all terribly, but it is good to be home after 30 days away. Good to be sleeping in my own bed and uh, good to be in my own house, but good to be here with you. And so it is good to be, uh, as we have gathered together today, to be able to worship the Lord together. It's not exactly what we were hoping for uh, for today. We were hoping that we'd have a combined service, but because of the COVID craziness that continues to go on, uh, we had to change that up a little bit. But the Lord is still on the throne, and we're still able to gather, and we're grateful for that. Amen? Well, if you remember, um, we were going through a series uh, this whole year called Running the Race, and uh, we're in the process of working through the story of the life of Joseph, which we're going to continue as we begin today. The past four weeks uh, have been a little bit of a respite from Joseph and from Joey as well uh, as we've been away. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, Angie and Lydia and I on our way home uh, from our trip in Tennessee listened to all four of the sermons uh, from the past four weeks here uh, from our pastors, and they did an outstanding job. So grateful for all of them and uh, their sharing. Absolutely. We attended a couple different churches while we were away, had some great messages there as well, but it is good to be back in the pulpit today. We're looking at, as we talked about the life of Joseph, and today we come to a place in the story that is a place that we've been waiting to get to. We still have a few more weeks left in the life of Joseph, but we've been waiting for this moment, I think, uh, as we look at something called the priceless picture. Now, Saying that, there's an old ad from 1997. Some of you will remember it. Some of you probably won't. Uh, but there was an old ad that was pretty famous back in 97 for MasterCard. And I want you to take a look at it uh, right now. Two tickets, $28. Two hot dogs, two popcorns, and two sodas, $18. One autographed baseball, $45. Real conversation with 11-year-old son, priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Accepted all over, even major league ballparks. Well, some things have changed since then, like prices of going to games and, and food, that sort of thing. Uh, but spending time with dad, that's still priceless, amen? We're looking at here this priceless picture, and so we're looking at today the priceless picture of the restoration of a relationship. There are some things that money cannot buy. And so that's what we're thinking about, about this being priceless. And so we're looking at the father and son, Jacob and Joseph, who've been separated for over 22 years. It's a beautiful picture here. There's something that money cannot buy. It is indeed priceless. And so how do we then apply this priceless picture to our lives. We're going to look at just three verses today. I heard what Pastor Joe said last week, uh, that I had been uh, out of the pulpit for a while, and I might be in the pulpit a while today. Uh, so I want to keep this as short as I possibly could in reading this scripture, uh, because uh, who knows what may happen as we continue to go along. Uh, but seriously, I am excited to be able to share with you these three verses and what the Lord has laid on my heart for this day. So if you're able, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read for you, Genesis 46, verses 28, 29, and 30. The Bible says this, He had sent Judah, meaning Jacob or Israel, had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. 
Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet, his, meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Man, what a beautiful picture. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege it's ours to be able to gather here this morning. Lord, we thank you for how your hand is upon us and uh, for what you've done these past weeks while we've been able to be away. But Lord, now as you're working in our hearts and lives at this moment as well, we pray for all the people who are in this building, but also those who are joining us online due to having to stay away for COVID exposure, having COVID itself. But we pray, Lord, that as we enter into this moment together, I pray, Father, that we will not enter the same, we will not leave the same way that we have entered. That we will leave changed by the power of the Spirit of God, who is transforming us to be more and more in love with you and to be more and more like you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that we'll walk away here today with a sense of repentance and renewal. That we'll walk away from here today having been challenged by your word. And Lord, may we be the people of God you've called us to be. And for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, may this be that moment of salvation. Lord, I pray that in all these things that you'd be glorified and exalted and magnified and that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you picked up one of the bulletin notes on your way in or if you have the um, uh, online or the app, you see that there's three points to today's message. The priceless picture. They all start with R. And then there are two to-dos at the end, which are like application points as we look at this passage of Scripture today. We want to see in this story, and I know it's been a while, so I'll have to help you be reminded some of the story. But the first thing that we want to see here of this priceless picture is we see a priceless picture of real humility. The priceless picture of real humility. Humility. Now, what we said is that over the next few weeks, we're going to finish up with the life of Joseph. And I'll just give you a cue that right after that, we're going to start the book of James. And we're excited about that as well. Uh, but we're going to finish up the, the story of Joseph probably the end of this month, the first of September. But to recap, since it's been a little while, try to remember the story as best as you can. And remember that we, when we first came to the life of Joseph, remember we saw him hated and envied by his brothers. He had these dreams and they didn't like it and they captured and they threw him into a pit by, by his brothers. They then sold him to the Ishmaelite traders and then the Ishmaelites sold Joseph to Potiphar as a servant. They then, then later on he was thrown in prison due to false accusations and forgotten by those that he helped while in prison. Eventually he was remembered and brought to Pharaoh's court interpreting dreams. And he was made second in command of all Egypt in preparation for a famine that God had told him about in those dreams. Joseph's brothers, not knowing that he was still alive, nor Joseph's position, they come to Egypt to buy grain in the midst of this famine. And they don't recognize him, but of course, Joseph recognizes them. And ultimately, after putting them through some tests, uh, Joseph is assured that their hearts have been changed. And so then with grace and love and forgiveness, he reveals to them that he is Joseph. Y'all remember that story? And then he tells them to go and get their father and bring him to Egypt and that Joseph will provide for all of them and their households in Egypt. 
And now Jacob, the last Sunday that I was here with you at the end of June, Jacob, who's 130 years old, first hesitates about going to see this Joseph, his son, but then he's assured by God at Beersheba and he heads now to Egypt and that's where we pick up our story. And as we've looked at our story today, where Jacob and Joseph come together, we come to this passage and thinking about the ad we just saw on the screen, we can almost hear the narrator say, Joseph preparing for the arrival of his family in Goshen, a hundred shekels of silver, preparing his chariot through the chariot wash, one shekel of silver, grain for the horses, a half shekel, but seeing his father after 22 years, priceless. Amen? What a priceless picture that we're looking at here, that we see at the beautiful things right off as we look at this story is real humility. Now let's look at verse 28 again, and we see the humility of Jacob. First off, that Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. They come now into Egypt, and Jacob sends Judah, his son, ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they come into the land of Goshen. So we see in this picture, in that one verse, the humility of Jacob, that Jacob simply sent Judah ahead of him and the caravan to let them know that this huge caravan was entering into the territory. And he wanted to know where to go in Goshen as he sends Judah on ahead. You see, thinking about that in the life of Jacob, pride would have him come up into Egypt with his great big entourage. There's a bunch of people that were traveling now into Egypt from Canaan. Pride would have strolled up with a sense of superiority and importance as God's people in a foreign land. But that's not what we see in Jacob. He sent Judah on ahead. And so his heart has been changed from pride to humility. And we see that humility now in Jacob. But also in this passage, we see humility in Joseph. In the verse part, first part of verse 29, it says, Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. Now think about that for just a moment. Remember where Joseph is. He is second in command of all of Egypt. He is likely, now listen, Joseph is likely one of the most important men in that nation and likely in the entire world at this point. Due to the famine, he held the keys to the storehouses of the food because of this famine. He could have requested that his father come and see him now that he is in all of his glory there in the Egyptian palaces, sitting on this throne, second in command. He could have requested his father to come and see him, to see how good he's gotten it now and how well he's done. He could have wanted his father and all of his family to come and see how important that he was because he was living in the royal palaces and he was dressed in, in great Egyptian clothing and he would have had the finest things that money could buy. He could have wanted them to come and bow before him as the second in command. But that is not what we see here. We see rather the one who is of supreme importance humbling himself and coming to others, leaving the royal court and coming out to meet his father. Now, now just imagine this scene. Y'all with me this morning, amen? Y'all with me? I don't think you're with me. Are you with me this morning? Come on now, amen? 
Just try to imagine the scene and the contrast of what's taking place here. Think about Joseph, all right? He is with the Egyptians, and he has all the the finery and and all the fine chariots, the, the royal chariots, glistening colors with the best horses. And just imagine them going out to meet uh, Jacob and all the, the family and the, and the livestock and the wagons and the donkeys. He goes out and jo- Joseph goes out and meets this huge caravan from the country. The contrast is striking between the two. It almost feels like as Joseph is coming out in all of his fancy uh, chariots and horses, and then he sees the wagons and the, and the, li- the livestock and, and all the, the donkeys here, it almost feels like the Beverly Hillbillies coming into Egypt. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The contrast between the two is striking. But as Joseph sees the country crew coming in from Canaan, he doesn't slink back. And he doesn't put on a show, but he comes out and he meets his father that he hasn't seen for 22 years and he falls on his neck. And what a priceless picture of the humility of Joseph. You see, a lot has changed in Joseph. Back, you remember, back in Genesis chapter 37, when he had those dreams, maybe there was a bit of pride about those dreams, but we don't see that anymore. We see a man who has great power, who has great importance, but who also is humble. Isn't that great? Beautiful picture. Priceless picture. You know, as I was thinking about seeing humility in people, we don't see that often in people as often as we should. But there was a story. Some of you may have seen this on social media. Some of you may have seen this in times past. And it's just a great story to pull in for today since the Olympics are going on in our world. From 2012, there was a race that you may have heard about. And I want to show you this picture here uh, on the screen. It was a race between uh, the folks as they were running this race. And the man in front is a Kenyan runner by the name of Abel Mutai, who was only a few meters from the finish line. But he got confused with the signs and he stopped short of the finish line thinking that he had finished the race. Now, this is back in 2012. The Spanish runner who's behind him, Ivan Fernandez, was right behind him and realized what was going on. He started shouting to the Kenyan to keep running. But Abel Mutai didn't know Spanish, so he didn't understand what he was saying. So the the Spanish runner realized what was going on, and so Fernandez pushed Mutai to victory, and the Kenyan won. Well, a reporter came up to Ivan and said, why, why did you do that? And Ivan replied, my dream is that one day we can have some sort of community life where we push ourselves and also others to win. And the reporter then insisted, but but why did you let the Kenyan win? And Ivan then replied, I didn't let him win. He was going to win. The race was his. But the reporter insisted, and he asked again, but you could have won. And Ivan looked at him and replied, but what would be the merit of my victory? What would be the honor of this medal? And what would my mother think of it? I mean, isn't that a great story of humility? A great story of humility. But there's, a, there's one even better. 
Maybe I suspect you remember this story of humility. From the pages of scripture in Philippians chapter two, starting at verse five, we read these words, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, friends, the story of Jacob and Joseph is a beautiful picture of humility. The story of the runner on the screen is a beautiful picture of humility, but nothing beats the humility we see in Christ. Amen? And this humility of Christ is the humility that we as disciples of Jesus, as born-again believers bought by his blood, must also have in us and through us. You see, money cannot buy this kind of humility. Only God can bestow it to us through Jesus Christ. We can do nothing. Listen, we can do nothing to have this true humility in and of ourselves because, and I don't miss this, because we love ourselves too much. Come on now. We love ourselves too much. This past 30 days, I've done a whole lot of reading over these past 30 days. I've done more reading. I told, said on Facebook and some people, I read more these past 30 days than I know I have in two years. And in doing this reading, I've caught up on some things that's going on in our world, and, and really the Lord has dealt with me in some different areas. But as I read some of the things that's taking place, I'll tell you this, and you know this already, there is much to be concerned about in our world today. There's much to be concerned about in our world. There are agendas by groups pushing Marxism in our society and in our culture and in our schools. There are liberal, sinful, wicked behaviors that we're not only asked to accept, but also we're bullied into approving and endorsing. Some would say, some would look at what's happening and some would say, the church needs to rise up and be the church. And while that is true, here's something that is more truth. Before, listen now, before the church can rise up, it needs to bow down in repentance. Before the church will, can rise up, it needs to bow down in repentance. What are we talking about, Pastor? It reminds me of what Jeremiah told God's people as God was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where the Lord spoke through the prophet and he said this, my people, God says, my people, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hold out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I read that, friends, and I say, this is, the, this is exactly what's happening in the disciples of Jesus today in Christianity across the board today, especially in America, where we have forsaken our God. 
The one true living God, the fountain of living waters where, where there's true satisfaction and we have gone after dirt. We've gone after things that cannot satisfy, gone and made things for ourselves that we struggle to, to have for ourselves that, that we think is gonna give us such great pleasure and satisfaction, leaving the fountain of living waters behind. We have forsaken our God. We are to repent. And so as a church, we're to be repenting that we have forsaken the Lord. Repenting that we have taken our eyes off the Lord. Repenting that we have gone after the idols of this culture. Repenting that we have placed our trust in parties or politicians instead of the Lord. Repenting that we have placed the Lord in a box of convenience that we will do what we want, when we want, how we want, with whom we want, and then if it's convenient, I may pray, I may read my Bible. If it's convenient, I may delight in the Lord. I might go to church. I may point others to him. But all of it, if it's convenient to me, because we love ourselves too much. Come on now. We need the humility of Christ who is of supreme importance, who left the royal court of heaven and came to save us, the lowly, unworthy, Beverly hillbillies of the earth, whom he became one of us and died for us. And that humility is priceless where we would repent and turn to him. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So it's in Christ Jesus. As you know Jesus Christ, let this be in you. This same humility that's in him, let it be in you because it's yours in Christ. It only comes through him. Priceless picture of real humility. And then secondly, we see the priceless picture of real humility as there, there's a restoration that takes place here, but also there's a priceless picture of rejoicing. That's the second point, of rejoicing. All right, let's look at verse 29 again. So Joseph prepared his chariot, went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. I mean, can you just imagine the scene? Think about it now. More than 22 years have passed. And each man, both Jacob and Joseph, was uncertain if the other was dead or alive. Jacob had presumed Joseph to be dead, and he thought he would never see him again. You remember the story about how the brothers brought him uh, Joseph's coat of many colors. It was coated in blood and shredded to pieces. And so he assumed that Joseph was dead. He didn't think he'd ever see him again. But yet here he stands. Joseph wasn't sure of his father's health or if he, was a, if he were alive or not because Jacob would have been almost 100 when Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites. And I know this is hard to believe, but back in that day, there was no Google to search obituaries. There's no ability to see friends and family through social media. There was no FaceTime calls. There was not even a postal service in order to send a letter. All Jacob and Joseph had were their memories and speculations about the other. But now, 
here they stand, looking at each other. Jacob, his father, hasn't seen him for 22 years. There he is. Joseph, my son, who I thought was dead, is alive. And not only is he alive, but here he is in front of me. The scene is too emotional to hardly even speak about. And Joseph, what does he do? He falls on the neck of his father and he weeps. He weeps and weeps. Now, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but you know that Jacob wept too. And likely everybody who's witnessing was taking place. You know, I wasn't there, but as I was working on the sermon, tears rolled down my cheeks just thinking about the scene of that day. Amen? No words were exchanged in this moment. No words could be spoken at this point. What a grand family reunion and restoration. The, the, this time of joy and rejoicing is priceless. No amount of money can buy this. Only the Lord could do it. You see, friends, when there is restoration of the relationship, there is rejoicing. This reunion of Jacob and Joseph, it, it reminds me of another reunion. You, you probably remember the story, but this, this separation of Joseph and Jacob was due to the brother's sin. But there's another instance of where father and son were separated due to that son's sin. You, you probably remember this, but the man had two sons. And this, as the way the story goes, the man had two sons. And the younger said to the father, Father, give me my inheritance. Give me what's coming to me. And so the father divided up and he gave to his son what was coming to him. Not long after, the son took off. And as you can imagine, as he took off, he squandered everything that he had. And it wasn't long before he was living. This son was living in abject poverty. Well, in that poverty, he soon came to his senses and he decided to humble himself and repent of his foolish sin and hope that his father would take him back but to take him back, not as a son, but just as a servant. And we pick up in that story where Jesus is telling the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 18, where this, the son says this, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so the son arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to what? Celebrate. Different situation, but with the restoration Oh, the rejoicing and the celebration. You see, when those who had been separated were now restored in the relationship, there is great joy and there is rejoicing. You know, I read that story and I have to wonder, 
I wonder how many today in the sound of my voice in this place, or maybe who are watching online, I wonder how many today have wandered from the Father. How many of you have gone your own way, doing your own thing in your own little world, trying to find happiness in what you want to do, and you've wandered away from the Father? But you're just now coming to your senses and realizing it ain't panning out like you thought. I want you to know something. The Father is waiting for you to come. He is there calling for you to come. He's waiting for you to come. Come. Come to him. And all the rejoicing that takes place when the relationship is restored. You see, friends, before we knew Jesus, we were separated from our heavenly father due to our own sin. And the father sent his son Jesus to reconcile us. And in that reconciliation, there is real joy. Can I get a witness? Amen. There's real joy when we're reconciled to our father. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In the book of Romans chapter five, starting at verse eight, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, watch this, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Because we've been reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ, there's great rejoicing in that restoration. There's great rejoicing in that relationship that is now together. No amount of money can buy this joy. Amen? No amount of money can buy this joy. Friends, listen, you can buy the biggest houses and have the greatest views. You can have full bank accounts and go on a vacation every week at some of the most exclusive and elaborate places in the world. But I'm telling you that what they offer will not last. Friends, listen, happiness is not the same thing as joy. There is great joy when we are restored to the right relationship with the Lord and it is priceless. Christian, let me ask you, disciple, let me ask you, do you have this joy? Has something stolen your joy? Could it be that sin has stolen joy from your life? This restoration and this reconciliation through Christ brings joy. Now understand what joy is not. Joy is not positive thinking. Joy is not being optimistic. Joy is not happy-go-lucky. Joy is not upbeat feelings. But let me tell you what joy is. Being satisfied in Christ Jesus, that is joy. Delighting in the glory of God, that is joy. Being secure in what is to come because of who Jesus is and what he's done, that is joy. Resting in his providence, that is joy. Receiving and remembering his grace, that is joy. 
See, what rejoicing when Jacob and Joseph were reunited, but even more, real joy is knowing Jesus and being filled with the Spirit. This joy and rejoicing in Jesus is priceless. Money can't buy it, but this joy is blood-bought. Have you been restored in your relationship to our Heavenly Father? And do you have this joy through Jesus Christ? So we see this priceless picture of this restoration that takes place, the reconciliation as they come together. And we see the picture of real humility and we see rejoicing. And then thirdly, we see the priceless picture of readiness to die. Think of verse 30. Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Jacob has seen his son and now he can die. Even though he still lives for 17 more years, he says, I am ready to die. So what is it about this moment that Jacob says that he can now die? Well, this was reunion after 22 years. It was a confirmation that God keeps his promises. And as he remembered Joseph's dream, he realized the fulfillment of prophecy has now taken place. So he's seen his son and now he is ready to die. You see, this is a priceless picture of Jacob ready to die because he now has peace. The son he thought was dead is now alive. His relationship is restored and reconciled as his son is alive, and that gives him peace. And he has this peace, he is ready to die. So how then does that apply to us? So we must ask the question then, if he is ready to die, when am I ready to die? When are you ready to die? Even though we still have, may still have years left, are we ready to die? When are we ready to die? And the answer is this. When we have peace, peace that comes as we have been restored and reconciled in the relationship to our Father in heaven through the Son who was, was dead but is now alive. When we have peace through Jesus Christ, where we've been reconciled in our relationship to our Creator, our Father in heaven, then we have peace and we're, we're ready to die. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians 1, 20 says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When are we ready to die? When we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross and rose again. Amen? When are we ready to die? There are times when we think, we wonder if we're going to die, but when are we ready to die? There, you know, this past 30 days, when we first got to our place where we're staying, we stayed on a mountain in Tennessee. And as we were going up to the cabin, I praise God that it wasn't raining and it wasn't dark. Because as we were going up this mountain, I am not kidding you, I don't know what angle that is, but that's the angle we were going, all right? And we go up, and then you had to turn and then you couldn't, you came to the top of a hill, you couldn't see the other, the bottom of the hill. So you had to go five miles an hour is what the speed limit was, so that in case there was a car coming up the other side, you could, one of you had to back down, all right? So we get over that, and then we come around the next corner, and you go up this next, same angles, go up like this, and then to make a right turn, you got to turn left. You got to swing way out this way to turn right to go up the hill. And then you go again, and again, and again, and again. 
For the first week, I kid you not, the first week, every time I would get out of my vehicle, my legs felt like rubber. I thought I was going to die. I really did. There are times when we have those times in our lives, right? We think we're going to die. But when are we ready to die? We're ready to die when we're at peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Money can't buy that. Only God can do that. And he has. When Jesus died and rose again, making the way for our salvation. You see, friends, when the relationship has been restored with our Father through Jesus, there is the priceless picture of real humility, of rejoicing, and the readiness to die. It's a beautiful picture. When Jacob and Joseph are reunited, but beloved, listen to me, it is even more beautiful and priceless when we are reconciled through Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, there's two to-dos, and we're done. Here's number one. Restore the relationship with the Lord. Maybe you are one of those disciples who you go through the motions, you check all the boxes, you make your way to church, but you really have strayed from the Lord. You've wandered away from him. You're doing your own thing, your own way. You know it, but maybe nobody else knows it. The to-do for you is to restore the relationship with the Lord. And how do you do that? Repent and come home to him. Repent and come home to him. Have we forsaken the Lord? Have we gone after things of this world and left him behind? Repent and come home to him. That's the first to do. The second to do is this. Receive the relationship with the Lord. So if you've never trusted Jesus by faith, let this be the moment as God is dealing with you, calling you to himself to receive that relationship with him. And understand this, that having this peace that we talked about a minute ago, this relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus is more than being ready to die. It's also about having life now. When we, receive, when we have the relationship with the Lord, we have life now. Not just, I know where I'm going when I die, but we have peace with God now. And we have joy now. And he gives us the fruit of the Spirit now. And we're transformed to be more like him now. And we enjoy his grace now. And we delight in him now. We see him and we see him at work now. And we love this life of delighting and being, being so joyful and rejoicing in who he is and what he has done. This past Sunday, we heard a pastor preaching and he shared a story and I'd forgotten the story until it got right to the end. And I remembered it is an old story. Some of you may have heard it, but let me share it with you real quick. There was a man and his son who collected rare works of art and they had many treasures. When the Vietnam conflict happened, his son went off to war and he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father, of course, was notified, and he grieved deeply for his son. About a month or so later, right before Christmas, the old father had a knock at the door. And when he went to the door, there was a young man standing there with a package. And the young man said to this older gentleman, he said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier that your son rescued. He was carrying me when the bullet struck him. He often talked of you and your love for art. So, sir, this isn't much, and I'm not a great artist, 
but I think your son will want you to have this. So immediately the father opened the package and when he opened it, it was a portrait of his son painted by the young man that he had saved. The father, of course, loved the painting and he hung it over his mantle. And anytime somebody would come to his house, he would take them into that room where the painting was and he would show them the picture of his son and tell them the story. It wasn't too long after that that the old man himself died and there was a great auction that took place of all of his paintings and all of his treasures. And people knew that he had a lot of treasures in his house. And so people from all over came. The auctioneer was there. The first item that the auctioneer brought out before the crowd, huge crowd because of all the treasures. The first uh, item that he brought out was the portrait of the son. And so he put the portrait of the son out there and he said, who will bid for this picture? But nobody wanted the picture. They just want him to hurry up and get on with it because this isn't the treasure. The real treasures are yet to come. So finally, there was an old farmer who knew the son. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll bid $10. The auctioneer says, $10. All right, who will give me 20? There was silence, nothing. Finally, the crowd started getting restless and agitated and said, hey, come on, let's just move on. So the auctioneer said, no other bids. All right, sold to the farmer for $10. As soon as he said those words, he reached into his pocket, he pulled out a piece of paper, and he said, all right, folks, the auction is now over. But people said, what? They're, what do you mean it's over? There's still so many treasures here. And the auctioneer said this, the father had stipulated in his will that whoever bought the painting of his son would receive the entire estate. It was a priceless picture. The bottom line was, whoever gets the son gets it all. Friends, I'm here to tell you that when you know Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior of your life, when you have a relationship with him, there's more to it than I'm going to go to heaven when I die. You get it all. There is joy there is forgiveness. There is assurance. There's walking with him who is our creator. is acknowledging him, delighting in him, loving him. When you get the son, you get it all. That's life. True life in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, may you have your way in us as we come to this moment. I pray, Father, for those who are in this place and those who may be online at this moment, Lord, that you're dealing with where we have strayed from you, forsaken you, gone after the things, dug our own cisterns in the ground and gone after the things that are satisfying of this world that have no satisfaction and will not hold water. Well, let us return to you, the fountain of living water. Father, I pray that you'd be with your people to repent for forsaking you and going after the things of this world. May we be restored to a relationship with you that is real. I pray, Father, for those who are listening today who never trusted you by faith that this would be that moment of salvation. To believe with all their heart that, you're, that we're sinners in need of a Savior, that we turn from our sin turning to Jesus Christ in full repentance, believing with all of our heart that you're the Son of God who died for us on the cross who rose again. 
God, I pray for those today that you're calling to yourself that this would be that moment where they would trust you by faith and take that step of faith. Father, I pray that you be with us as we come to this moment. I pray for those who are here that they would come and take a pastor by the hand. We'd be glad to pray with them or they can come and pray silently. I pray for those who are watching online, they'd send us an email. But whatever the case, it would reach out that we may be able to share with them the good news of Jesus and the hope that we have in him. Father, may you have your way in every heart and life. And we're going to give you the glory, the honor, and praise that indeed as we walk away from here today, that we walk away differently than what we walked in. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing, Come Thou Found.